This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. The night air was still, save for the ghostly clanking of the boats in the harbour as they bobbed gently up and down in the ice-cold water. Up above, thick dark clouds swirled as a ceaseless barrage of snow fell steadily onto everything in sight. Just then, a door swung open, rupturing for a moment the silence of the sleepy Icelandic fishing town with a blast of ecstatic rock music. Two young men stumbled out of the doorway onto the snow-covered pavement as the door whipped shut behind them, muffling once more the music from inside. Laughing together, one of the men, 18-year-old Gudmunda Einarsson, took a swig from a bottle of brandy while the other lit up a cigarette and gazed out across the harbour for a moment before the pair then headed off into the snow. Elsewhere in the early hours of that Sunday of January 1974, in Hafnafjordir, a quiet port town 10 kilometers south of Reykjavik, 18-year-old Erdler Boladotir was returning home. Erdler had been out with friends at Kluberin, a popular nightclub in Reykjavik, before getting bored and deciding to head back to her apartment. Erdler shared the flat with her boyfriend Saivar, but since he wasn't home at the time and also had their only key, she made her way to the basement window, prized it open and squeezed inside. Finally in, Erdler stumbled toward her bed and collapsed, exhausted. It was some time later when Erdler was stirred from sleep by the sound of voices speaking in hushed tones right outside her apartment. Alone in the darkness, an anxious Erdler strained to hear what they were saying. Though she couldn't be sure, it sounded like Christian, Albert and Trigvi, friends of her boyfriend, Saiva. From what little snippets she could make out, 
they seemed to be talking about Erdla, speculating whether she might be in or not. Erdla froze in fear. Though she knew them well enough, she'd never spent time with them without Siva, who'd told her in the past to be wary of them. Unsure what on earth they might be doing there, Erdla could only listen in terror as she heard the men's footsteps edging closer to the apartment. Just then, Erdla bolted up, gasped for air in the dark and silence, her hair thickly matted with sweat. She scoured the flat for any sign of intruders as her eyes slowly adjusted to the darkness. It was only then that she realised with relief it had just been a bad dream. There had been no voices outside her apartment. Then she noticed the damp warmth under her bed covers and realised with horror that she'd soiled herself. In shame and embarrassment, Erdler quickly cleaned herself up and stripped the bed. Checking that the coast was clear, she ran to the outside bin and threw away the bedsheets before returning to her apartment as all about the snow continued to fall. By the following day, Monday, January 28th, Gudmunda Einarsson had yet to return to his home on the eastern fringes of Reykjavik. Having not heard from his son since Saturday night, Gudmunda's father called his friends to see if they might know where he was, but each of them gave the same dispiriting answer. They hadn't heard from him either. The next day, Gudmunda Einarsson was declared missing. Over the next few days, police worked hard to retrace the young man's steps. Some friends had seen him leaving the club with another man who they didn't know. That pair had then later been seen by two young women who were driving back to Reykjavik at the time. The women had pulled over to give the men a lift, but having seen how drunk they were, in the end decided to head off without them. A few hours later, Guthmunda was seen again, this time on his own, walking unsteadily along the main road out of Harnafjorda in the direction of Reykjavik. Much as it is now, back in the 1970s, Iceland, with a population of roughly 200,000 people and with one of the most equitable societies in the contemporary world, also had one of the world's lowest rates for violent crime, with murder being virtually non-existent. With it also having been snowing and below freezing the night Gutmunda disappeared, the police had good reason to assume that he'd simply got lost on his way home, somewhere between Hanafjorda and Reykjavik. Though there was a main road joining them, officers turned their attention to the lava fields that surrounded the small fishing town, a perilous, otherworldly stretch of moss-covered crags and deep fissures hidden under the snow. For the next week, over 200 people, marshalled by Guthmunda's brother, joined the police in their search for the young man's body, aided by a number of Coast Guard helicopters. However, with over 60 centimetres of snow being dumped in the area since Guthmunda had disappeared, it was effectively hopeless. By the following week, the search was called off. It was a few days later, in February, that Erdler's boyfriend, 
Saiver Sizelski, arrived home from a trip abroad, only to be confronted by the burly figure of Christian Peterson, head of customs at Iceland's Keflavik airport. Peterson seemed to be unusually fixated with the 18-year-old Saiver, who he believed was a key figure in what he considered to be a rapidly expanding drug problem in Iceland. Just a few months before, Peterson had stopped both Saiver and Ertler on their return home from a joint trip to the US. Both had been strip-searched as a result, with Ertler being allowed to go home straight after, but Saiver being kept behind. It wouldn't be until a week later that Erdler saw him again. As Saiva later explained, Peterson had accused him of smuggling morphine, but when he couldn't find anything, had taken him to Sidamuli Prison, a holding prison in the centre of Reykjavik. Once there, Saiva claimed he was routinely beaten up and kept in solitary confinement until finally being released a week later, when the police couldn't keep him any longer. Though this arrest of Saiver had undoubtedly been heavy-handed and without justification, Peterson's suspicions weren't entirely unfounded. Crime related to alcohol, which was heavily regulated by the government and other drugs, had been increasing in recent years as a result of the expanding communication and tourism industries, which were exposing more people than ever to other cultures and ways of life. Just as beer of which any with an alcohol content higher than 2.25% was banned by the government, was becoming more popular. So too were people becoming interested in fashionable drugs like LSD and cannabis. Though Saiver didn't drink or take other drugs himself, he had dabbled in selling stolen alcohol, which in his capacity as a customs officer had first brought Saiver to Peterson's attention. He also often travelled abroad, to buy cannabis to sell back in Iceland. However, when Peterson picked Saiver up that February, it wasn't for either of these things, but rather for a recent jewellery heist that he was convinced Saiver had been involved with. Just as before, having denied all involvement, Saiver was once again taken to Sidamuli prison, only this time he was kept in solitary confinement for a month, only being allowed to leave when he gave police incriminating details about a friend of his. Saivar and Ertler had first met in the early 70s, when Saivar was going out with a friend of Ertler's called Hulda. Not thinking much about him at the time, the pair later became close when Hulda pulled out of a trip that she and Ertler had planned to take to America, and Saivar took the ticket instead. Though the pair had separate plans to visit people in the US, Saivar eventually followed Ertler to Washington, D.C. It was there at a party one night that Ertler's drink was spiked with LSD. Feeling suddenly anxious, Ertler stumbled into a dark room in the hope of finding somewhere to lie down when she tripped over somebody's legs. It was Saivar who had also inadvertently drunk some of the LSD, After suggesting that he and Ertler try and ride the trip out together, the pair spent the rest of the evening lying next to each other as they proceeded to recount the story of their lives. Ertler would never again see Saivar in the same light. That night, 
the cocky, seemingly self-assured Saivar told Erdler all about his time growing up the only family in his neighbourhood that owned a TV and how all the kids in the street used to come and crowd around it. About those happy days when, as a young boy, he used to play act and mess about with his siblings and about his Polish-American father who used to beat him mercilessly with a belt whenever he stepped out of line. At school, Saivar, who had Jewish roots and had inherited his father's Eastern European looks, was bullied for being different, and before long, he was skipping school. After befriending Albert Skafterson and Christian Wiedersen, a tall boy with a reputation as one of the harder kids at school, Saivar, along with the other two, spent more and more time playing truant and soon began stealing from local shops. All the while, at home, his parents' marriage was falling apart. Saivar's father, Michael, had originally come over from the US and had always felt an outsider in Iceland. Becoming increasingly depressed and dissatisfied with his work, he started to drink more and take his frustrations out on the family, and on Saivar especially. At 14, the young Saivar was sent to a boarding home for what the state considered to be problem children. Many years later, that same school would become the centre of a horrific social services scandal involving the physical and sexual abuse of many of the boys who were forced to stay there. Saivar told Ertler about all of it. It was while he was staying at the boarding school that Saivar's father was killed in a car crash. When the pair returned home a few months later, Ertler got her first taste of what being in a relationship with Saivar would entail, being strip-searched on arrival. However, despite all of that, and her family's concern at the burgeoning relationship, she'd fallen completely in love with him. After moving in together, Soon after their return from the US, it wasn't long before Ertler was being drafted in to Saivar's illicit schemes. With her job at the Icelandic Post and Telephone Company, Ertler took the opportunity to help move on all the alcohol that Saivar and his friends had stolen from the docks by selling it to her colleagues. Meanwhile, Saivar was devoting more and more time to selling cannabis, often having to leave Ertler for days on end for the pickups. In July, Ertler discovered that he'd been cheating on her. When she told him she was leaving him, he assaulted her, kicking her in the stomach. Undeterred, Ertler followed through with her decision. But before long, the young couple were back together, with the repentant Saivar promising to be a better partner. To that end, he wanted out of the drugs trade, which had only ever really been just a way to make money. His dream, as he explained to Erdler, was to one day become a filmmaker, but to do that would need a lot more money. Having grown increasingly angry since his last arrest, he also wanted to find a way to get back at society after all the years of abuse and harassment he'd suffered at its hands. Before long, he and Erdler had devised a plan. One evening, after tampering with their phone, to make it sound as if they were calling from abroad, 
The couple contacted the Icelandic Post and Telephone Company and requested half a million kroner, equivalent to 50,000 US dollars in today's money, to be sent to a depot in Reykjavik. A few days later, with a simple false ID, Ertler travelled to the depot and collected the cash. The pair spent the night in an upmarket hotel and treated themselves to room service to celebrate. Over the next few days, Saivar spent 300,000 kroner on film equipment and Ertler bought a car. The rest they saved, careful not to draw too much attention to themselves. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. On November 19th, 1974, in Keflavik, 50 kilometers southwest of Reykjavik, Thorda Ingemarsson arrived at the home of his friend, Gefferna Einarsson, with the intention of taking him out to watch a film. However, by the time Thorda had made it to Gefna's house, his friend's plans had changed, explaining vaguely that he wouldn't be able to go now because he'd just been summoned to an impromptu meeting at a cafe in Keflavik Harbour, Geffener apologised for wasting his friend's time. Alarmingly, Geffener wouldn't say exactly who he was meeting, only that he'd been asked to come alone and on foot, and that he wasn't allowed to tell anyone about it. Confused and concerned for his friend, Thorda offered to drive Geffener close to the cafe to make sure nothing bad was about to happen. Having dropped him off, and satisfied that all was okay, Thorda returned home. Moments later, the cafe's owner watched as Geffener entered the building, clearly annoyed that whomever he was there to meet was not there also. After buying a pack of cigarettes, he promptly left. Fifteen minutes later, the owner watched as a second man entered her cafe and asked to use the payphone. When the owner pointed out the phone at the back of the room, the man duly headed over to it and proceeded to make a phone call. Around the same time, Geffener, now back at home, was overheard by his wife and son taking a phone call from someone they didn't know. In the ensuing conversation, Geffener's wife, Goodney, later stated that she heard him say something about already having been there before he relented, saying he will go again. Hanging up the phone... Without any explanation to Goodney, Geffener collected his car keys and drove off into the night. The following day, 
Geffener's abandoned Red Ford Cortina was found parked 200 metres from the Harbour Café, with the keys still in the ignition. But Geffener was never seen again. A week later, Ertler and Saiva were watching TV when the story of Geffener's disappearance came on the news. Saivar was unimpressed. Clearly, he said, the man had just said something he shouldn't have and had been bumped off because of it. Ertler hadn't thought anything of it at the time, since Saivar often liked to sound as if he had first-hand knowledge of such things. The couple had been laying low for the last few weeks, waiting for any heat from their crime to blow over. However, with Ertler's connection to the post and telephone company, it hadn't taken the police long to figure out who might have been involved. A few days later, Ertler discovered that a warrant had been issued for her and Saivar's arrest. Knowing it would only be a matter of time before they were pulled in, Saivar made the drastic suggestion that they flee immediately to Copenhagen to stay with friends until the whole thing died down. Packing what few bits they had and changing what was left of the money, in December, the couple, travelling separately so as not to arouse suspicion, made their way to Denmark. Back in Keflavik police station, Detective Voltaire Sigurdsson was looking forward to a long-needed break. As the lead investigator into the disappearance of Geffener Einerson, Voltaire had overseen a rather stilted operation that had been slow to get on top of the case. Despite the suspicious circumstances surrounding the man's disappearance, the team had failed to confirm if the mysterious call he took shortly before he went missing had indeed come from the cafe. Other lines of inquiry, such as men who Geffner's wife was having an affair with, were not followed up, and a variety of conflicting eyewitness reports all contributed badly to the clumsy investigation. Relieved to be taking a break from it all, Sigurdsson was only too happy to hand the reins of the investigation to his colleague, Hauke Goodmanson, and Head of Customs, Christian Peterson. Peterson had been brought in due to his suspicions that Geffen's disappearance might in some way be linked to the illegal alcohol trade, which Sigurdsson had dismissed. With Sigurdsson now out of the picture, Goodmanson and Peterson decided to pursue the alcohol angle. Following a tip that Geffener had once been asked to suggest people who might be willing to smuggle alcohol into the port, the police discovered he'd spent a night at Kluberin nightclub in Reykjavik. Since he rarely went out, there was reason to think this a little suspicious. The link was also significant, since one description of the man who made the phone call from the Harbour Café on the night of Geffener's disappearance bore a striking resemblance to one... Magnus Leopoldson, the manager of Kluberin. This line of inquiry was quickly snuffed out, however, when it emerged that the Kluberin building was leased from the ruling political party at the time. Embarrassed by the connection, the Justice Department, led by former Prime Minister Olafur Johannesson, lent on the Keflavik Police Department to leave Kluberin alone. With no other major leads, in June 1975, the investigation was effectively wound down.
In Denmark, things had been good at first for Ertler and Saivar, with Ertler enjoying the relative sense of freedom the move had afforded. Before long, however, their money had run out, and Ertler had begun to suffer regular bouts of sickness. When she missed her next period, she knew instantly she was pregnant. By March, with no money to speak of, Ertler had been reduced to stealing tomatoes just to keep from starving. Worried for the health of the baby, Erdler had little option but to return home, whatever the consequences. But when she told Saivar of this decision, he demanded she stay, having only heard recently that the police were still looking to arrest them. When she refused, he attacked her again, kicking her hard in the stomach. Though she couldn't be sure, Erdler suspected he'd done it deliberately to harm the baby. Erdler left the next day and moved back in with her mother in Reykjavik. In September, Erdler gave birth to a girl whom she named Julia. By then, she and Saivar were back together and living in a property in Kopavaga, just south of the capital. Two months later, Saivar and his friend Gujon were arrested and put into custody after attempting to smuggle cannabis from France. As the police worked to strengthen their case against them, they were given some interesting news. A prisoner currently serving time with Saivar's friend, Christian, had learned from Christian that Saivar and Ertler had been responsible for the theft from the post and telephone company. One day in December, while Ertler was feeding her baby, there was a knock at the front door. She opened it, to find two police officers with a warrant for her arrest. After arranging for her sister to take care of Julia, Ertler was led out to the waiting police car and driven the short distance to Sidamuli Prison. On arrival, she was led straight into the prison interrogation room, a small space at the entrance of the prison, known to the officers as the corner. The room had been strategically chosen to give arriving interviewees a glimpse of the prison beyond, a reminder of what they could look forward to should they fail to comply, but Ertler had no intention of giving them what they needed. Over the next few days, the by then 20-year-old Ertler was brought in and out of solitary confinement and placed in the dull, smoke-filled interview room without a lawyer as the police, led by the investigating magistrate, Orn Hosgoldson, tried desperately to extract a confession. Only after drawing on a letter they had found in her and Saivar's apartment, in which Ertler had detailed her many grievances with him, did they begin to get somewhere. Look how dangerous Saivar was, they insisted. How bad he was for her and the baby. Clearly he didn't care about them. And what would grown-up Julia think about her mother refusing to cooperate with the police like this? After spending almost a week in solitary confinement, undergoing 25 hours of interrogation, Ertler couldn't stand it any longer. Desperate to see her baby again, she finally confessed to it all, giving the officers a full statement of what happened. With Magistrate Hoskolson smiling at her, and congratulating her on doing the right thing, Ertler sat back in her chair as a wave of relief washed over her. It seemed so easy in the end, 
All she had had to do was tell them exactly what they wanted to hear, and it was over. Ertler had just stood up to leave, with her thoughts only about seeing her baby again, when Hoskulsen called out to her. Just one more thing, he said. Then he pulled a photo from a file on the table and showed it to Ertler. You don't happen to recognize this man by any chance, he said. Ertler, caught a little off guard, looked at the photo. She recognized him immediately as Guthmunder Einerson, the 18-year-old boy who'd gone missing back in January 1974. Ertler, as she explained, had met him a few times when she was just 16. They chatted once or twice on nights out, but nothing more than that. Hoss Goldson looked to his colleagues and motioned for Ertler to sit down again. Gripped by a sudden panic, Ertler looked toward the exit, now firmly closed, and slowly sat back down in the chair. What were you doing on the evening of January 26, 1974, the night Guthmunder went missing, asked Hoskuldsen. Were you with Saivar by any chance? Ertler's mind went blank. Then, thinking for a moment, she slowly began to remember where she'd been that night. It was the night of her peculiar dream, being woken up by what she thought was the sound of three of Saivar's friends whispering conspiratorially in the dark outside her apartment. She proceeded to tell the officers everything she'd done that night, how she'd come home exhausted from Klubrin nightclub, and gone straight to bed. She even told them about the nightmare, but not about how she soiled the sheets. That she'd been too embarrassed to say out loud to the numerous older men crowding expectantly around the interview table. Instead, she explained that at some point she'd gone outside for some fresh air and found herself standing next to the bin where she'd seen a sheet deposited at the bottom of it. And that was all of it. Hoskaldson leant back in his chair and thought for a moment, something clearly bothering him. He asked Ertler to go through it again, and again, something seemed strange to him. This business with the sheet, it was such an unusual detail, he thought. Why did Ertler include it? But Ertler wouldn't say. It was obvious, he said, something terrible had happened that night something so traumatising that Ertler could no longer remember it. Not to worry, he explained. He would help her remember what it was, and she wouldn't be leaving until he had the answer. You've been listening to Part 1 of Unexplained Season 4, Episode 17, Appearing is Being. Part 2 will be released next Friday, October 18th. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, discount on merchandise, as well as brand new video and audio content exclusive to Patreon members, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, 
you can go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are greatly appreciated. Unexplained the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplained. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise. Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.